Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and welcome to the OCR Underground Show. This is episode number 82. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 82. Um, well, I'm actually pretty impressed. If, if all goes to planned, I am actually going to get two podcast episodes out this month. So I'm kind of excited. So uh, hopefully I'm not speaking too soon and I, I can get through this episode, get it all edited and get it out to you. Um, my plan is I'm actually just a couple days away from heading out to... Asheville, North Carolina, have a fun family vacation out there, and gonna tie in the uh, Asheville Super while we're there. Um, I sent out an email this morning to my newsletter group, and you know I've gotten a lot of questions from clients asking, "Is this gonna be an A race for me?" And I would have liked to have had it be an A race. I, my training has been going, I think, really well, and I'm I'm feeling really good. Um, but then knowing that this is going to come at the tail end of a week vacation with the in-laws and my father-in-law is going to have plenty of bourbon and scotch available and it's going to be hard to say no most nights. So I just have a feeling a week of, of that, um, and just kind of kicking back and then going out and doing an A race is going to be pretty tricky, but so I'm, I'm going in considering this a B race. Uh, and still keeping my my mind on on Tahoe for for that A race, but you never know. Maybe I'm gonna find some secret combination of bourbon and scotch that's gonna lead to uh, some performance enhancing benefits. Uh, probably not, but I can I can definitely hope so. Um, but before I take off, I want to make sure I got this episode out and um, got another one in the books. So uh, in this episode, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I want to talk about kind of revitalizing your training program. And you know, if you're kind of a little stale, feel like you've plateaued, um, not seeing the progress, or you know, really just not being motivated to to get out there and get to it, I have some some thoughts on that that I wanted to share. Uh, in my research review, I'm going to talk about how too much exercise can actually um, be a bad thing. And I know I've talked about that before, but in particular, um, looking at energy expenditure calories, how you know you think the more you work out, the better, but it actually can backfire. So I want to share a couple of research studies there. Uh, and then finally, I have a, a great chat with SGX coach Ryan Baxter. Uh, Ryan's a, actually a, a software engineer and an SGX coach. And he's going to share some of his insights and training and his um, thoughts on uh, kind of the causes of many health issues with with uh, a lot of people are dealing with out there being um, rooted with an ancestral mismatch and, you know, finding ways to to live a healthy lifestyle and, and proper nutrition, you know, in the modern day, but still considering some of our ancestral living, um, you know, and just incorporating more whole foods and activity in general and actually share some of his his go-to's for using more whole food nutritions even during races so had a great chat with um with coach ryan so definitely stick around for that before we get into the episode i want to let you know about the sponsors for this show uh first i want to talk about handmaster plus um really my go-to grip training tool um such a simple thing you can have uh, travel with it, carry it around, keep it in the gym bag, at work, at home, wherever it might be. Um, and the cool thing is when you when you get a Handmaster Plus kit, it actually comes with three grip trainers, so you can kind of spread them out and have them in different places. But uh, really, if you're if you're having trouble with some of your grip related obstacles, or if you're kind of overdoing it and noticing you're getting some elbow issues because you're doing so much grip work, I definitely would recommend checking out. The Handmaster Plus. Um, obviously, you have the grip ball, and, and we're using the muscles to squeeze and use that crush grip. But just like anything, we're trying to train the body in balance and work on uh, developing those muscles that also open the grip. And when we can open and close uh, that grip and get stronger and stronger on both sides of the, the equation, we're just going to have a much 
more impressive grip strength and uh, keep away from many grip related injuries. So uh, check out the Handmaster Plus. You can go to handmasterplus.com uh, and order your set today. All right, this episode is also sponsored by Manscaped. Manscaped provides the best tools in men's grooming. Guys, if you're using the same trimmer for your face and your body, it might be time to make an upgrade. Uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the newest product developed to keep you clean shaven and safe, so no more shaving related injuries. I actually got to test out this new product and I have to say it works like a charm. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and comfort. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. If you want to get 20% off their products plus free shipping, head on over to manscaped.com and use code OCR underground. All right, well, let's get started with the Inside Mike's Mind segment. So over the years of doing this, I know this is a topic that I've talked about before. It's just one that I, I keep seeing questions come up and, and concerns being made. And, you know, some of these things I've definitely talked about before, but I just think they're worth bringing up again. And this is the idea of just kind of what to do when you've lost motivation to train, when... Um, you're just not feeling the workouts. Maybe you're, you're hitting a plateau and you just don't know what to do. Um, you know, just, just finding ways to, to get re-energized and get excited about training again. And, and obviously a lot of things can, can play a role here, but there's a, a few areas that I think we can, we can focus on. I kind of think of people's training and I'll, I'll think of the, the Greek mythology um, Sisyphus. And he was the, the one who was, you know, punished and uh, in the afterworld had to push the boulder up the hill. Um, and then as he got to the top of the hill, just about before he was able to get it on top and push it down the other side, the weight of the ball came crashing down and would roll back to the bottom. And he has to spend eternity pushing this, this rock up. And I think a, a lot of people almost they're taking this approach with their training where we just you know push hard push hard push hard and we just get to a point where you know it just burns us out and it beats us up so much that we just kind of let go and let that ball roll down the hill and start over and you know there's there's a time to push hard and a time to back off and and really you know if we kind of use that same story of pushing the boulder up the hill what we'd want to see is we have to work really hard to get this boulder up a hill, but we could actually reach the top and push it over. And then it is going to roll back down again. And then we're going to have to go chase it, pick it back up. And now we're going to go up maybe a little bit steeper hill and we're going to get it up to the top and up and over. And then again, it's going to roll down the other side. So there is constantly this, this uh, feeling of, of highs and lows, but that's by design how our training is supposed to go. I think the problem is when we never quite get over that first hill, right? We, we push super hard, we, we keep trying, and ultimately that, that rock wins and it pushes us back down. So I think there's, there's a limit on just going off of pure like willpower, determination. You're just going to push as hard as you can and, and just crush every single workout. Um, that works a little bit, and some people can, can use it longer than others. I just get... I, I get the feeling most people, if not everybody, is going to run into the point where you hit the top of that hill and you just can't make it over and you burn out and you, you kind of have to start over and over and over again. So instead, I think having a long-term plan is probably the best way to avoid running into this. So just looking at, and I know I've talked about you know planning your year in advance, but I just don't think it can be said enough because so many people just go kind of day to day or week to week just following random workout after random workout and just thinking I'm going to push as hard as I can and we just get the expectation if I push hard I'm going to get better and I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case all the time um, I think a lot of times we're just working out hard to feel tired and then redoing it the next day or the next week so <clears throat> I think the first step is kind of 
have a big plan, like the, the big picture, right? When we can look at the big picture and just see, well, I'm here, right? And this is the time to push hard, or maybe this is the time to back off and, and take it a little bit easier. Um, that's going to be us, you know, pushing hard, getting over the first hill, rolling back down a little bit. And then the next time we push hard again, we're going to be able to get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, whatever it might be. So I think, you know, that's where I would start. If you, if you find you're having trouble, <clears throat> staying motivated, I would sit down and obviously, you know, having a coach or somebody help you out in this process is going to go a long way. But even on your own, plan out the next few months, you know, start big picture, and then you work smaller and smaller. And then you can see, what if I break this down every, you know, break it down monthly, you know, or every four weeks, it's just such a simple way to implement something like this. And you tell yourself for the next three weeks, I'm going to push as hard as I can. And then that fourth week, I'm going to chill out a little bit and I'm going to back off and I'll talk about some things maybe we should, should do um, in that week. Then hopefully I've kind of recovered, I'm rejuvenated again, and then I'm going to go the next three weeks hard again and then back off. You know, And obviously there's different ways we can implement this, but if you've never done anything like this, I think a three week on, one week off is is a great way to get started and, and play around and, and try and see how this kind of gets you going. And now we have our, our different phases and now you can break it down, have different goals per phase. Like maybe I'm going to get stronger, faster, build more muscle, uh, whatever it might be. You know, you start playing around with different reps in the gym or distances on your runs. Um, but just, just having more structure, structure to it, I think it's just motivating in itself because now, even if you're new to this, you have a plan and now it almost makes the workouts kind of easy because the plan's already written. Now you just follow it right? And obviously things will come up and you have to adjust. But for the most part, I just, okay, I have this plan for today. I'm going to go out there and do it, right? And then once I get through it, you can always reevaluate and see how it went. Now, <clears throat> when you evaluate, I think it's important, you know, you, you monitor your progress. So having some kind of baseline, and I think this is another thing that a lot of people just may not pay attention to, where you might be getting better, but you really don't know because you never you never test it, right? Now, I know I've talked about this in the past. We can use races as a test, um, but sometimes that's just a little hard because races are different distances, different obstacles, you know, different weather conditions, incline, all these different things. So it's kind of hard to compare. You know, you can look at well, if I placed this, you know, tenth in my age group and then sixth in my age group, I guess I'm getting better, right? But maybe the competition wasn't the same. So it's it just a little harder to use racing as your pure, the only way that you're going to monitor improving. So uh, pay attention to just different things. You know, there's simple things you can do. I've talked about the functional movement screen as your baseline for just general movement. So that's just a, a simple thing you can do and see, are you moving better, right? You, you go through the, the FMS, you, you have a score, you do it, some corrective exercises, you work on it, and then you see is there an improvement? If there is, then I know, hey, this stuff's working. I'm getting, I'm getting better. And again, I think any kind of progress is going to be motivating. So just make sure you're paying attention to it. Um, and then, you know, other things like your strength levels. Are you looking at um, one rep max or three or five rep max or, or something along those lines? Uh, your endurance. Are you doing a time trial every once in a while? Like seeing what's your mile, what's your one and a half mile, what's your 5K? Um, all these different things. We can use, you know, if, if you want to, and actually one of the things I wanted to talk about was I, I mentioned that week off. Uh, one, I think one of the best ways to kind of revitalize yourself is incorporating more cross training, right? If we look at something like running and how repetitive it is, uh, it's a challenge. I know some people love it and it's, you know, it's, it's just what they do and they can run for hours and it's no big deal. Other people, it's really difficult, right? And you're doing something you're not super crazy about and then you kind of burn out and don't really want to do it anymore. So I think implementing some type of cross training, get on a rower, get on a bike, uh, anything else, you know, get, grab a, um, you know, go ruck, whatever it might be, just something a little bit different than just running all the time. So in that one week kind of recovery, um, not only back off on intensity, but definitely change some things up so we're not just beating up the same joints, the same muscles over and over again. So, uh, you know, I love the assault bike. I talk about that a lot. So getting, you know, for one week, I'm going to get off the road and get on the bike and do all of my aerobic training or, or anaerobic, my interval work. It's all going to be on the bike or the rower or something along those lines. I just think it's a nice way to kind of break things up. Uh, so 
the the big picture here is it's super easy to burn out and if we're just pushing as hard as we can into a cement wall it's the wall is probably going to win and we're going to just get tired and, and give up after a while so we need to plan for things like this so if you monitor things properly right you monitor recovery maybe your heart rate or hrv you monitor your strength levels your grip strength your running performance pacing pay attention to all these things um, you know, keep a, a workout journal. A lot, actually, most of my clients have a very detailed log of all of their training, so they can see, like, hey, last time I I ran this this uh, trail, I was doing it in this time. Now I'm doing it in this time. Big improvement. Like things are definitely working. That is super motivating. And if it isn't improving, we just know there's something that's not quite working right. I need to take a step back, reevaluate, and see how I can fix it. But I, I do think kind of having those plan breaks, plan cross training. Um, deload weeks, you know, whatever you want to call it, just have a cycle of I'm going to push hard, then I'm going to back off, and then I'm going to push hard again, and then I'm going to back off. It just works so much better than just trying to push hard all the time, just pushing that boulder up to have it fall right back on you again. And I know the biggest fight I get with this is you feel like you're going to lose everything in a week. And I don't know any other way to tell you than just I can guarantee that won't happen, right? And we're not saying do nothing. We're just saying you back off, you cross train, take a little breather, and then you're going to be so revitalized that all of a sudden you're going to see all of your lifts go up or you just feel better, faster. Um, you know, joints have had a little bit of time to take a break, whatever it might be. So again, I know I've talked about this before, but I think if you're not doing something actively towards trying to prevent that burnout, it's it's just going to catch up to you. So this kind of an easy way to pay attention to are you are you just pushing you know to push or are we pushing part of a plan so your homework is to to sit down i want you to really evaluate what you're doing plan for some cross training you know if you just start with nothing else pick one week uh, one week a month to get off the road do something other than your normal trail your normal uh, track workout or whatever it might be get on a different piece of equipment you know at least train uh, change up the scenery and and work out somewhere else find a workout buddy to help you push through some of the harder phases uh you know obviously just there's there's so many different things you can do but um let's see if that can help one just get you uh, progressing a little bit more but if nothing else trying to avoid some of that plateauing and and really just that mental fatigue and, and burnout that we often see with training All right, it's time for my research review, and I wanted to share two two studies here. And you know, when I was thinking about what what research to talk about this week, um, this one kind of popped out for a couple of reasons. One, in the interview coming up with Coach Ryan Baxter, I actually mentioned one of these studies, so I figured why not dig a little deeper and just talk about some of the details. And and we're going to talk more about this topic uh, in the interview, but I figured why not touch on the studies a little bit more just to kind of reiterate the point that I'm trying to make here. Um, And then on top of that, I actually just filming a a two hour webinar uh, on lifting weight to to lose fat for exercise, etc. And I talked a lot about this concept here, because we're talking about energy expenditure and calories burning from workouts. So I just thought this was just a good topic, a good um, topic and a good research study to bring up so um kind of the to talk about the webinar i just filmed um one of the main points i was trying to make is with your training and i'm specifically talking about strength training or resistance training um but you can really talk about a lot of different training methods here but my point was we want to check some boxes to maximize, you know, in this case, we were talking about fat loss, but I think it can go for a lot of different goals. But we're trying to find workouts that will um, burn calories during the workout, right? So that's a piece of it. We need to do exercise that is going to maximize how many calories we burn during a workout. Uh, then we want to do exercise that will also carry over and help us increase calories after we're done working out. You might hear the term EPOC or excess uh, post 
exercise oxygen consumption, basically saying that once you're done working out, your metabolism stays elevated for a little bit longer and you continue to burn more calories. Um, and then we also want to focus on building or maintaining lean body mass because that can help for a lot of different reasons that I won't get into here, but I think most of them are pretty straightforward. And we also want to focus on uh, optimal recovery, right? Because if, like I just mentioned, if you're not recovering properly, it affects training, it affects everything. And now you're just kind of burnt out, not, not pushing as hard, burning less calories, um, or just giving up training altogether. So those are kind of the, the check boxes we're trying to make when we put together a program. And uh, the reason I want to talk about these studies is they're, they're actually focusing on exercise effect on something called NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So just a real quick review of how you burn calories. So it's, it's composed of different pieces. So we have our basal metabolic rate, which is just the, the energy you expend to survive for your body just to live, right? This, if you were to lay down in bed all day, you would still burn calories because you have to breathe and digest and, and do, do things, right? So that's, that's our metabolic rate is just the activity inside our body um, functioning to, to survive. That actually makes up the biggest piece of how we burn calories. Um, from there, the next biggest piece is activity. I'll call it activity thermogenesis. And that's broken down into two pieces, activity, uh, exercise activity thermogenesis and non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or eat and neat. So just like it sounds, eat refers to when you go to the gym and work out. Neat would be any other activity you do, do during the day. So you get up and walk around, you fidget, um, whatever. You, know, you, you park your car and you walk up the stairs to go to work, whatever it might be. Uh, that type of activity is neat. And actually, for, for most people, the neat area is where you're burning more calories, right? Because think of, it's just a numbers game, how many hours in the day you're moving around doing stuff, or hopefully you're moving around not just sitting on the couch all day or sitting at your desk, um, versus exercise, you get in the gym and you, you push really hard, and that's it, right? So um, neat is something that can't be taken for granted, especially if we're looking at you know weight management program and exercising to lose weight. Uh, and then the final piece is the thermic effect of food, and it's basically just the energy needed to to take food in, break it down, absorb it, digest it, um, and utilize the, the energy in there. That takes calories as well. So getting back to the research studies, we what they were looking at here, and both of these studies looked at the same thing. They wanted to figure out, okay, so we have these different areas that we expend energy through exercise and through non-exercise. If we manipulate the workouts, does it affect how much you will just spontaneously move the rest of the day? So in both of these studies, they had a very specific exercise protocol that the subjects followed. I'll talk about what those were. And then they just said, go live your life, right? Do, do whatever you need to do after this, but they monitored how much energy they spent with the rest of the day. So they wanted to see how much this uh, exercise influenced movement throughout the day. So in one study where what they did was they performed high intensity aerobic exercise. So they were training at 70% of their VO2 max. They did this five days a week for 10 weeks and they wanted to see what its effect was on uh, energy expenditure after the workout. What they found was on average those 10 weeks, this high training five days a week actually saw a decrease compared to the control group of 236 calories per day. Right, so a pretty significant uh, reduction in calories from non-exercise activity. So basically saying they worked out really hard, they burned a bunch of calories, but then they moved less during the day. Uh, another study, very similar, what they did was they combined aerobic training and resistance training. So they did aerobic training uh, for 40 minutes at 80% of their max heart rate. Uh, and then they added on resistance training after that. So they did that three days a week. So a lot of training. Uh, all at once and they found that they actually reduced uh, energy expenditure by 150 calories per day in that in that group uh, the interesting thing though when they actually reduced that pro the same protocol but they did it two days a week they saw an increase in 300 calories per day right so they were actually moving more so i just like to bring up this study to to kind of make you realize 
what you do in the gym and when you train will influence what you do the rest of the day. And if we're trying to be more active, we, we need to find that, that point where our workouts are kind of energizing us to move more and not just crash out, right? So if you're training super hard and then you find that you're just taking a nap and crashing on the couch for the rest of the day, that's kind of defeating the purpose of everything we're trying to accomplish. The goal is to kind of get you moving more um, and more and being as active as possible through the day. We want our workouts to energize us, that we want them to support an active lifestyle, not to damage it, right? So uh, I think, you know, these are just examples. Everybody's gonna be different. You might say, hey, I train five days a week and I train pretty hard and I definitely can move around and it's no big deal, right? And that might totally be the case. Uh, so for some people, they're going to be able to obviously work out harder more often. Other people are not going to be able to, to push it the same. So the, the key is you need to experiment a little bit and find out what's that perfect balance for you, right? So at what point is it actually a detriment to the rest of your uh, activities of daily living and how much you move? And at one point, is it actually optimizing it and, and energizing you? So... I think, you know, again, this it's hard. I can't give you specific recommendations because we are going to be so different, but it's something to just consider with your training. Just play around with things. See if you do more, maybe more recovery days during the week, low intensity workouts. Does it help your harder workouts where you can actually push harder? Do you feel more active throughout the rest of the day? Or are you just training hard every single time you get to the gym? And, and once you're out of the gym, you're just on the couch and done. Right. So um, just interesting points I thought worth bringing up. We're going to talk about it, this concept a little bit more uh, in the interview, but I thought it was, it was a good uh, a good study to at least mention here. All right, guys. Well, as usual, I have another awesome guest for you with uh, this episode's interview. And today I have Coach Ryan Baxter on. Ryan is a software engineer turned health coach and obstacle course racer. He lives in New Hampshire with his wife, seven-year-old daughter, and three-year-old son, where he operates RJB Health Coaching. Ryan combines knowledge about ancestral health and training to optimize performance as an athlete in obstacle course racing. He is a certified primal health coach and SGX coach. Uh, through his health coaching business, he strives to help athletes achieve their own goals, both on and off the race course using an ancestral model for health and exercise. So coach Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How are you? Good, good. How are things in New Hampshire? Um, it's, uh, we've skipped spring and we've headed right into summer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, uh, it was like 90 degrees with a bunch of humidity. Um, and just, uh, I can, a few weeks ago, I was running in the snow. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's warm. Uh, so it's a, it's a welcome change. But yeah, we skipped spring and just right into the heat. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I, I remember uh, being in, in Connecticut for college. And it was often like that where it kind of you just never knew sometimes I, I distinctively remember, um, like it being 80 degrees, getting outside, getting a sunburn, and then it snowed the next day. And it's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, we kind of never know what you're going to get here. So yeah. it's, it's part of living <laughs> in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on here. I, I, I'm really interested and want to want to chat more about your your specific approach to, to training and performance. Yeah. Um, but let's kind of get started. How did you first get involved, uh, like racing yourself and, and coaching, uh, specifically <laughs> with like obstacle course racing? Yeah. So I, um, coming out of college, uh, I was kind of lost as far as a uh, physical fitness was concerned. Uh, I would, I would, you know, go to the gym in, in, in college and, and whatnot, but I had no real goal. I didn't like, I, I didn't really, I pretty much was not involved in sports or athletics as a kid. So I would just go there, kind of just wing it, you know, get on the elliptical, blah, blah, blah. I knew it was good for me, but that's about it. Um, and then after I graduated, my wife was kind of into road racing and uh, I wanted to continue to work out, but I, didn't I hated running. It was not something I was into, especially running on the road. Um, but, you know, so I was trying to search for some, putting some meaning behind the physical activity I was doing. And um, I landed on obstacle course racing because while it was still running and it wasn't something I was thrilled about, at least it was on a trail most of the time. And also... Uh, it wasn't just straight running. It was, you know, they had obstacles into it. It just sounded pretty cool. Um, so I, I 
leaned toward that and decided to do my first uh, obstacle course futures race, which was in 2015 uh, at Fenway Park. So the Fenway Stadium uh, sprint, um, which was an awesome experience. I did it with my wife. Um, she hated it and I loved it, <laughs> uh, finish. And I was like, I can't wait to do more next year. Cause it was held in November. So, um, kind of the last race of the season in the Northeast. And, um, I immediately signed up for my first trifecta the next year. And, um, yeah, then I was like, uh, how do I kind of train for these things? And I, again, I knew nothing about it. Um, especially since like the beast was, uh, you know, 14 miles. And like, I think the longest I ever run before was like three miles. I, I have no idea how to run 14 miles. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that kind of led me down this path of, as I was researching, I came across Ben Greenfield, who was into obstacle course racing at the time. And he had, I started listening to his podcast and then he had on someone by the name of Mark Sisson, uh, who's very big in the ancestral health space. And he had come up with this book called Primal Endurance. And I was like, hey, this, you know, this is basically how to train for endurance races. I have no other options. Let me, let me pick up this book and read for it. And that's kind of started my journey into learning more about ancestral health and, and training. And so ever since then, I've been kind of going down the rabbit hole of how to optimize my own body and do my own training and uh, how to fuel it and align my lifestyle with a more ancestral approach to, to living and uh, how that com- can complement my, my athletic uh, uh, goals and, and health goals. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I, at this point, I'm pretty much convinced that obstacle course racing is basically just a trick to get people <laughs> to run, you know, like, cause <laughs> I think most of us start in the same boat. It's like, I don't want to run, but if you throw this other stuff in there, it kind of sounds fun. Yeah. So it's just, it's just this trick to get us running. I think that's all it is. <laughs> I think it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of curious too. So you were a soft software engineer. So mm-hmm. what, what made that, that desire to switch into this career? Uh, so I, I still am a full-time software engineer. So okay. I, I just do health coaching and training on the side cool. uh, as a part-time job. But uh, yeah, I still love doing software engineering. I still, still a passion of mine. Um, I, I do it every day. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of weird to have a software engineer be that into health and fitness because you usually think of the <laughs> software engineer as a very nerdy guy, which I am. But um, yeah, I, I yeah, fell in love with obstacle course awesome. racing. Yeah. Well, I probably have a nice niche there that you can uh, inspire people that, you know, probably used to just sitting and, and uh, being on the computer or whatever it is and For sure. uh, get out yeah. there and do some stuff. Uh, well, awesome. So uh, I want to talk more about this idea, this ancestral model. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of give us a quick little like summary. What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So like, if you look at most of the health problems, at least this is the, you know, I'll call it a, a quote unquote theory, but you know, most of the health problems that peace people suffer from today um, are really due to ancestral mismatches. And what I mean by that is we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years, um, you know, eating a certain way, moving a lot, sleeping, you know, with the sun, sunrise, sunset. Um, we evolved in communities with other people. We moved around quite a fair amount trying to find food and, and build shelters. And occasionally we did some high intensity stuff we were tracking animals and killing things and stuff like that. And uh, much of what we do today is the complete opposite of what we evolved doing. <laughs> so we eat a lot of processed foods that we never evolved eating. We don't really sleep that well. Uh, we stare at screens most of the day. We sit in chairs and, uh, we talk over Zoom as opposed to uh, <laughs> interacting with real people. And this can result in a bunch of health problems, right? Um, and and we see that, you know, unfortunately, very commonly throughout our, our everyday lives. And um, so I, you know, I, I kind of realized this, you know, uh, learned about this model of, of what it me- means to live ancestrally and um, and, uh, I've seen great improvements in my, my health and other people's health. And when it comes to athletics and athletes, uh, particularly, I feel like if you can lay a solid foundation of, you know, proper nutrition, proper sleep, proper stress management, great social connection and, and movement outside of just 
exercise, um, that sets you up to be a better athlete, right? Um, it's going to benefit your, your athletic goals, whether they're obstacle course racing, triathlon, or marathon or whatever, CrossFit, et cetera. Um, and you have to tweak those things to some degree as an athlete, because, you know, honestly, certain athletic events are, are not, are also ancestral mismatches, right? No one was really ever meant to run for five, six, seven, ten 10 hours straight. Right. Um, so there's some, you know, things you might need to adjust there, but, um, I find that when you have a solid base of living your life, uh, and, uh, aligned ancestrally that things in general just go better both from a health perspective and from an athletics perspective. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I recently read the book, um, uh, breathe by James mm. Nestor. And, uh, I, I can't remember if he was quoting somebody or if it was his quote in there, but basically talking about evolution saying how it's not always a good thing. Right. Mm. And if we look at, you know, from medical advances to just how we live, uh, and obviously he's talking about breathing and how our, uh, skull structures are changing and, and all this crazy stuff, but basically saying that we always think of evolution, like strongest, uh, the survival of the fittest, right. Where, we uh, that we're going to advance based on we have a better likelihood of surviving. But because of all of these things, he's almost saying that it's not always a good thing. This this mm -hmm. evolution that we're going, this path that we're going down may not be beneficial for our health. It's just we it's been made possible by advances. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not I'm not anti evolution, anti technology. I don't think we should go back and live in caves. I, you know, I think modern medicine is a great thing. Like I, I'm for all of that, but I think that within this modern world that we live in, we probably should try and emulate some of the things we did as, you know, very early humans, right? Like just, you know, we should probably walk a fair amount, right? You know, you should probably try, I know that 10,000 step, you know, number may be made up or whatever, but it's a pretty decent marker for saying that you just move throughout the day. Right. Um, uh, and like, you know, that's just one thing, like getting up out of the chair, like we just, we didn't sit in chairs all day long, you know, sand, walk around, squat, you know, crowd, crawl, you know, do, do things that actually a lot of things we do as part in obstacle course races are really emulating things that we probably would have done ancestrally, which I, I find really cool, you know, carrying heavy things for long distances and, and crawling under barbed wire and, and jumping and climbing over, you know, walls and stuff like that. These are all things that we probably would have done a fair amount of and been pretty, wouldn't been challenging for our ancestors at all. Uh, but today, you know, people, you know, asking them to crawl just, you know, 10 feet on their hands and knees is, can be challenging for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, um, I'm not, I'm not anti-technology and not anti-evolution, but I think we just need to inject a little bit more of what we're supposed to be doing back into our lives a little bit. And that makes us better. Uh, yeah, and, and better, better people. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when people hear maybe that ancestral living, you know, that, that philosophy, they think, well, I don't want to give up my car and my phone and, <laughs> and I like cooked food and, and, you know, they kind of take it to, and I'm sure there's people out there that yeah. that's, that's what they want to go. And they just want minimalist living. And, you know, that's, that's their choice. But I, I'm glad you said that because I think it, it's like, we can have every like we can have both you can have yeah. modern society we can have these conversations on zoom yeah. which is really cool because we you know weren't able to do stuff like that um but i'm not going to sit here on zoom all day i'm gonna i'm gonna get out and do do some other things um sure. so I, I i do i like that you brought up movement outside of exercise and i think that's a great a great topic because so many and i have clients guilty of this um trying to talk them out of this where they think that, okay, well, I'm going to do my three times a week, go to the gym, I get whatever exercise I'm done. And then I'm, I'm that's it. I've completed my exercise requirement where it's almost like a supplement, right? Like you can supplement a multivitamin or something because you're just not getting enough of it in your diet. That's kind of how exercise should be looked at. We're supplementing it because you may not have a manual labor job and you might not be lifting stuff all day, but it's a good thing you should probably practice and, and work on. And that comes in handy by going to the gym, but there's so much more we could be doing. Yeah. And it's funny. I was just uh, reading a study uh, a couple of nights ago and they were talking about the, you know, the, the general recommendation is like a, 150 minutes of, um, you know, moderate activity a week is, is what the CDC and world health organization 
et cetera, they recommend. And that's really just 30 minutes of moderate activity, five days a week, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they found if you did those 30 minutes of, of moderate activity five days a week and didn't move the rest of the day, like you just, you were sedentary for 12 hours the rest of the day, that you had no reduction in, in all-cause mortality, if even if you exercise, right? It wasn't until you, I think it was like you got into about like six hours of movement outside of exercise that you started to see like a 30% reduction in, in, in death, um, which, you know, just proves that like exercise isn't enough, right? You know, in, in to some degree for some clients, and like you said, like I, I see it in a lot of clients too, like they, you know, they, their average steps is 2000 steps a day, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's all they move outside of exercise. And that's really just not enough for, I mean, for some clients, I like to tell them that exercise should be optional. Like you should be get, you should, if you move enough throughout the day, like you shouldn't really have to exercise. Right. And you can make your exercise be 30 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever, a couple sprints for 10 minutes and, and you're done because you've got in 10 to 15,000 steps the rest of the day and you moved around. Um, and people often wonder like, Oh, you know, how do you do that? How do you move that much? Right. And it's not terribly hard. Like, especially if you start to break it up into chunks throughout your day, you know, I encourage people to like start bookend their days, at least, you know, start the day with a walk, start to end their day with a walk. Um, you know, it's great, you know, especially now in the summertime in the Northeast, you can get outside in the morning, the sun's up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, from then on, you can probably get outside and go for a walk. Right. Um, and it's just 20 minutes and it takes, you feel better. You get the sun in your face first thing in the morning. There's benefits for your sleep by doing that. Um, and, uh, and then just end your day with a walk. And, and really what I like to do personally is I like to walk around my meals. So I'll go for a walk after breakfast, after lunch and after dinner and just 20 minutes and, and you'll get easily 10,000 steps from day. You do that just with every other movement that you're, you're taking throughout the day, just getting up, go to the bathroom, getting food, going to water, you know, that type of stuff. Um, it works out really well. Um, and it's, it's doable. It seems daunting at first. And obviously I don't go have people go from 2000 steps to 15,000 steps in one day. Like, you know, it's like, okay, let's shoot for 5,000 steps, shoot for 8,000 steps after the first week. And they, they adapt to it and it becomes normal. And then they miss it after, you know, they don't do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes such a long way. And people find in the beginning, like you said, they're fatigued, like it is a great, you know, obviously, it's great for just general health. But for for these races, if you're sitting all day, and then you work out for an hour or so, and then you go back to sitting, sure, you might get stronger, you know, if, if that's what you're going for. Hmm. But if you were to just move like all day when you can, you know, just stand up, move, it, it makes a big difference. Um, when I was when I did the Spartan Ultra, like I viewed my walks during the day as part of my training, like yeah. just being on my feet because I'm going to be on my feet for a long period of time. Like that was all that all contributed to my, to my training for that race. Um, and again, it's just, you know, that's what we're made to do. We're made to get up and walk around. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I had the same thing when I was training for the ultra, you know, I did my runs and I did my other stuff, but I just tried to stand yeah. as much as I could. Like at night it would suck sometimes, but like watch TV <laughs> standing up, you know, when I had, a break and kind of the day was over, just don't crash out, just stand there, move around. Um, but there's all these little things that they, it makes a difference. Um, yeah. it doesn't sound like it, but I promise uh, yeah. you'll feel it. Um, I know I was actually recently, recently having this conversation with a client who kind of going from like right now, and we're just trying to get them moving and, and, uh, getting exercise into their daily life. And, uh, it was kind of that first goal. It's like, okay, I'm going to see you two days a week. You know, we'll get our training done then. And we need, we're going to just incorporate a little bit of movement every day. I'm like your first goal, I, you know, I wasn't even shooting for the 150 minutes. I'm like, we'll get there. Like, we're going to go 75 minutes. Yep. That's our goal for the whole week. I don't care what it is. Probably walking. She's like, I like to swim. It's like, great. You know, that works, whatever it is. We're just going to get you moving, trying to hit those 75 minutes. And I was like, but PS the two hours you see me don't count. It's, it's in addition to these things. Like that's, mm -hmm. I want to make that clear that I need your, uh, your activities of daily living to be more active, not just your, your fitness. Um, yeah. and you know, I know I've seen studies where, uh, people think like more is better, right. Where I'm just going to crush my workout mm -hmm. and, uh, they'll, they'll do where they compare two groups. Those that like are just doing really hard training, those that are doing moderate to light training. And actually what they looked at were total calories throughout the day, not just in the workout. So the workout 
obviously the harder group's going to burn more calories, right? They're, they're moving more and pushing harder. Uh, but then they, what they found were a lot of those people were just crashing out, right? They're taking yep. naps throughout the day. They're laying on the couch because of their fatigue where the other group was like, yeah, I worked out, but I feel good. And they almost more energized and they're moving yep. around. And now they're the ones burning more calories, getting better results because they just didn't kill themselves in their one hour workout session. Right. Right. And they're probably better. They're probably able to work out again the next day. Whereas the, the person yeah. who killed themselves in that one hour probably needs to take a couple of days off and, and won't really be able to work out the same intensity. So at the end of the week, you look at all, you know, the total amount of work done by the person who worked out half as hard, but moved a lot more. They, like you said, are, are way better off as far as, you know, just if calories burned is a metric or just stamina and endurance, they put in a lot more effort um, and work into their training than the other person did for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what if we switch gears and just talk a little like nutrition? So, you know, you know, moving better is going to be great, but obviously, you know, how are we, I am kind of a loaded question, but you know, mismatching ancestrally when it comes to nutrition. I think, um, you know, it's the, it's the consumption of highly processed foods that really, tends to be a problem. Um, I'm not going to claim to be a person who never eats processed food. You know, I, I have it occasionally. Um, but most of my diet and the diet that I kind of prescribe to my clients is based around whole foods, right? It's things that grow in the ground, um, you know, uh, vegetables, fruits, um, you know, if, if beans and legumes are your thing, awesome rice, quinoa, if that's your thing, great. Um, you know, uh, Animals, all types of animal meats, if that's your thing is, you know, uh, great, you know, beef, chicken, cow, you know, uh, pigs, whatever fish. Um, and that's really what 90% of my diet looks like is just vegetables, um, potatoes, you know, uh, and, and just meat. And that's, you know, I structure my meals around that. Um, and then when it comes to, so in, in, for the average person, I think that's, that's good enough. Right. Um, you know, you're talking about your everyday person and you're probably focused around that stuff. You're pretty good. Right. Um, but when we talk about athletes, um, especially athletes that are, you know, working out six times a week, um, you know, doing great, you know, training crazy amounts of, of time, um, you know, oftentimes it's hard to get in enough food in day when you are eating these whole foods, <laughs> Uh, they're extremely, they're extremely filling and they're, you know, satiating and, you know, you can eat three huge meals and maybe get in, you know, you know, 2,500 calories, right. Um, if you really put in your work at it, but once you start to really push the volume and the caloric demands, like it's going to be hard. So starting to turn to more foods, like, um, you know, I try to work my way up from least minimally processed up. Right. So, um, you know, like things like white rice and oatmeal and, you know, those types of things, even some types of like, uh, breads, if, if that's your thing type of stuff. So like I try to keep the processing to a minimal, um, and they have some kind of nutritional value to them, um, as you go up, you know, in, in caloric demands and, and, you know, really carbohydrate demands start to increase. Like you just, you kind of can't get away from it. Like that's where the, the ancestral mismatch and what you're trying to accomplish is, you know, not, not going to align well with, with my uh, ideology around eating. And I accept that. So it's, you know, kind of a necessary evil as an athlete and you got to do it right. And as an athlete, you can probably handle a lot of that stuff. Um, if you're someone, like we say, sitting on the couch 12 hours a day, you know, do you need to be eating three cups of, of rice a day? Probably not. Like you're not moving. <laughs> you don't really need that. Um, and do you need like a giant fruit smoothie? No. Right. But as an athlete who's burning a lot of calories and, and working out hard and taking up a lot of glycogen and, and carbohydrates, like, yeah, you, you can do that stuff and it'd be perfectly fine for you. You're not going to be phased by it. It's going to benefit from that, that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, really it just, you know, start out with whole foods and then, you know, add in what you need basically to, to get to, you know, the demands of your, your activities is kind of my philosophy. I know it sounds simple, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I think it sounds like you're being sincere and honest with, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think anybody that, you know, it, it's, it's, this is real life. Like sometimes you enjoy some of those processed foods and it's, yeah. it's okay. Like it's not, it's not a foundation of my diet, but I'm like, I'm going to eat this right now. 
Right. Yeah. If it's your, if it's your birthday, if it's your kid's birthday, if it's your anniversary, like go out and have a hell of a time, like yeah. drink all the beer, eat all the ice cream, have all the cake, like enjoy yourself. And once it's done, like that's just not an everyday thing. It's just that there's occasions to do it and there's times to do it. And it's part of being healthy. Honestly, I think like you, you're having a great social interaction with a bunch of people and there's beer involved or alcohol involved and cake and ice cream and all that fun stuff and chips and great. You know, like that's, that's part of being human. Right. Um, and again, like, because you're putting in all this other work, um, your body is more resilient to taking on the insults that come along with those, those foods. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you, it's, it's fine. Right. I'm not against it. There's time and place for everything, but I think we have a, a big problem today where most people's diets consist of those foods all the time. And there's very little of the whole foods and they're, they're not athletes. <laughs> they're not working out like the rest of us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you have to take it within context, I guess is, yeah. is very important. Right? So, um, I'm curious. So I, I think one of the reasons people will go right to the processed foods is, uh, convenience, right. Cause it's just easy to get those, those types of foods. And obviously they'll often taste good. And, and, but I think convenience is a big piece of it. And I'm curious if you have any insight for like race day, like fuel, fuel, like say I'm doing a beats, I'm doing an ultra. Mm -hmm. Now, are you like, do you have any more whole food options tend to go to? Or are you like, no, I'm, the gels are con convenient. I, I'm just curious kind of what your approach yeah. would be for something like that. Yeah. Um, what I tell my clients is that when it's race day, anything goes right. It's whatever you can digest and whatever works best for you and allows you to perform your best. If that's, you know, traditional gels and, whatever, like, great, you know, that's race day, you know, we're here to race, not to, not to say, look at me, I finished this race and with the best quality diet ever, right? That's not going to win you the race, right? Um, so whatever makes you perform your best and makes you feel your best during the race, that's what you should use. Um, and that, and when you're training, you know, you should practice and figure out what that is, right? For me, um, there are some, I think there are more whole food options uh, that are you know, more and more coming on, on the market, uh, every day. I personally like to race with when I'm doing something longer, like a beast or, or longer than that. Um, you know, I'll race with a mixture of, um, some liquid calories as well as, um, some, you know, actually food, you know, calories. And, uh, what I usually do is mix, I'll have a flask in my vest. One flask is just water and electrolytes. The other one has some essential amino acids in it. Um, and, uh, some MCT powder. So a little bit of fat. And then I have a, um, a sweet potato powder. Um, that's just powdered sweet potato from equipped foods, um, as a carbohydrate source. And I'll throw that in the other water bottle. So I'll sip on that along the way. And then for, as far as like solid foods that I bring with me, I throw in my vest. Um, I'll have, uh, nut butter, nut butter packets are really good. Um, so like almond butter, peanut butter, you can get them. Like they have different flavors, honey and chocolate and all kinds of tasty things. Um, those work really well for me. Um, I like, um, Lara bars, which are like dates and nuts that are mixed together. Um, and at bar form, those work really well for me. Um, there's also a company, I believe they're out of California. I think they are, they it's called Muir, M-U-I-R. <clears throat> and they make like you would, what you would imagine like a traditional gel pack, uh, but it's made out of whole foods. So they're like fruits and, and, um, and like sweet potatoes and stuff like that. But like in, like in a mashed like gel pack, you just rip open the top, suck it down and, and go. And they have some with caffeine in it and some without caffeine and <clears throat> some that are fast absorbing. And, you know, if you're doing something like a, a quick race, we really need quick access to, to carbohydrates or, long lasting, if you're doing something more like a beast or an ultra. Um, so there's a bunch of different kind of whole food options that I personally use, um, that work for me. I've, I've experimented with various different things and those are the ones that I, um, that I use, but, you know, I tell clients all the time, like it's race day, you know, fair game, anything, the like diet Coke, I don't really care what it is, <laughs> whatever's going to get you to the finish line at that point, just, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And kind of goes back to the point like you're making earlier of, you know, some, some sports and athletics aren't always, you know, we weren't designed to do and, and yeah. but it's, but they're fun and you're competing and sometimes you're going to take every advantage.
as possible. Yep. But uh, but I appreciate you sharing some of those. I, I hadn't heard of that one before, so I want to check it out. Um, but I and I'm sure there's others out there, and it it really comes down to if if you do some research, um, you'll definitely find. Uh, obviously, there's still processing on a lot of these foods, but yep. it, you, like you said, like what's what's my best option? It's if it's coming from Whole Foods, like. Um, I have a better, it's most likely a better, um, fit for my, my lifestyle versus, yeah, this is just chemicals and, and whatever mm. it is, is made out of, mm. um, well, go ahead. I was also going to say, like, I think there's something to, um, also doing some training. Like, I think a lot of people, um, you know, traditionally like think that they have to fuel all the time. Right. And so they, they might go out for a 30 minute run or whatever and, they, they always, you know, have something to eat or whatever. And that's because that's what they're told. That's what they're marketed to. But in reality, like you can probably go a fair amount, even at a high, you know, 30 minutes at a high intensity, you should probably be able to do without probably needing to eat anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you can, you can incorporate that type of training into your, your race prep so that you actually do need to consume less while you're out there is I think also a, a great thing to do as an athlete as well, because the less stress you have to put on your stomach to try and digest things, because it's not going to want to digest anything. It's more concerned about the quote unquote, you know, fictional tiger that you're running from in a race. Mm -hmm. So it's not putting any effort into your gut to try and digest things because things you're trying to survive. Um, you know, the better, right. The better chances. So if you're someone who has like GI issues while you're racing, you know, trying to find that sweet spot of, okay, I can, this is the least amount of fuel that I can get away with, but still perform at the level I want to and try and train yourself to get to that point. Uh, it's something you should practice in, in your training as well. So there's, there's something to, um, you know, doing some, some faster training and, and doing some longer runs, you know, they might be slower, but without having taken anything but water or whatever. Um, and that can, that can help from a fueling perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the body can definitely adapt to a lot of different situations, whether good or bad. Right. So if you're used to eating every 20 minutes, your body's going to kind of expect that if you're okay with, you know, fasting or just going more prolonged times, your body's okay with that too. Like it's just going to kind of feed off of whatever you're regularly doing. So you can, um, you can definitely improve upon that. Um, well, this was awesome. I mean, this is some really great information, uh, you know, from just your whole philosophy of, you know, trying to avoid some of those ancestral mismatches to, you know, how we can, you know, like simple, I think everything we talked about today was straightforward and simple. It just does take effort and things that you have to pay attention to, to, to incorporate this into your, your regular routine. Um, if, if people want to learn more about you, um, where can they find out more? Yeah. So, um, there's a number of places they can find me. Um, I'm uh, on Instagram at uh, my health coaching website is at RJB health coaching on Instagram. Um, you can also find me on Facebook under RJB health coaching as well. Uh, I have a website too uh, at rjbhealth.coach. So it's not .com, it's .coach. Um, and there, um, one of the cool things I, I try to, you know, share a lot of the content that, you know, around what we talked about today. And I have a weekly newsletter that goes out um, where I'll send you, um, you jump on the newsletter. I usually send you my blog posts. That I do just some thoughts on things. I usually try to do a weekly Facebook live um, and stuff like that. So if you go to my, my homepage at rjbhealth.coach and click on the newsletter tab, you can enter your email address there and sign up for the newsletter and kind of just get all the content that I put out just directly to your inbox. So you don't have to spend too much time scrolling on, on Facebook or Instagram, which is not necessarily a good thing all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I will put all those uh, links in the show notes for this episode so people can uh, find it pretty easily. Just click right on there and join the newsletter. Uh, well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your, your insight on some of these topics. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. Well, that is episode 82 of the OCR Underground Show. I want to give a big thanks to Coach Ryan for sharing his insight on uh, some of the things he's doing in his coaching and training and nutrition. Uh, check out the show notes for all of uh, his contact info if you want to learn more about Coach Ryan. Also, thanks to our sponsors to this episode, uh, Handmaster Plus and Manscaped. Make sure you check out their awesome products. 
uh, again, in the show notes for this episode. Um, and if you haven't checked out my book, please head on over to Amazon. Uh, look for Fuel and Fire, Dominate Obstacle Course Racing with Scientific Training Strategies Fueled by Nutrition. So a lot of the topics that I talk about in the podcast, put it into hopefully a, a one-stop shop for um, putting it all together for you with a, a program that's easy to follow along with in there. Uh, well, that's going to do it for now. I am off to North Carolina and definitely going to have a recap in uh, our next episode. Uh, until then, keep training smarter.